This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. Here's your host, Drew Dalby. This is David Kay, and uh, I am a voice monkey, <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. Voice professional, voice voiceover person, actor. I kind of like the idea know. of having business cards that say voice monkey on them. Yeah, I think it's been taken. <laughs> I, I don't want to actually use that. <laughs> Uh, now, before you became uh, voice actor, voice professional, voice monkey, uh, you actually got started in radio. Where was the first uh, inkling for you that radio would be a cool thing to do? I was doing announcements at high school at Kenner Collegiate in Peterborough, Ontario. And it was the year I, I think it was 12th grade, I think, or 11th or 12th. And, and I had been talking to the morning man uh, John Marystein at CKPT Radio. Worst call letters ever in the world. You can't make them sound cool, ever. <laughs> and I was working, I was working in, a, in a pro shop part-time at the YMCA and selling squash rackets. And, and that's how I get into that sport, by the way. But I, 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 he used to come in all the time to the Y. I used to talk to him. And I said, ah, it's John Marystein. He was a big celebrity in town, you know. And I, I was quite interested then. And I said, look, is there any chance to come over? I think we got into a discussion about radio, and I'm doing the announcements at, at high school, you know, the morning announcements. And he said, sure, come on over and meet uh, Rick Johnson and some few of the people over there. And I did. I had no idea. I just wanted to go and say hello, and I was interested in, in radio. I was always, always interested in media for whatever reason. And they set me down into in a, in a little studio, and I remember a, the, cassette re, the cassette recorder, uh, the tape machine, which are so, it's ancient, so ancient now, it's hilarious. But they press plan record and have me speak into it and read some copy and i got a job doing overnights on weekends and uh <laughs> that was horrible but somebody gave me a shot they you know they gave me a shot and i got to, to learn a few things and and that's how it all started uh yelled out by the engineer a lot for doing stupid stuff i don't i used to fall asleep to uh, the robert klein radio radio show at three in the morning the, the records would Listen to me how old I am. The records. The records. Uh, they would run out and I would be I would be asleep and I, you'd wake up with this dead air. That was such an evil thing back in the day. And that's where it started. Peterborough, Ontario at CKPT. That's where the, I got the radio bug and you, just uh, fell in love with it. You must have had a hell of a voice on the announcements to get a gig based on a couple of copy reads. I, I, no, I have no idea. I, I was. I know I was. I was awful. I mean, really, it, in this industry, it, all it takes is one person to think you have a shot or, or give you a chance. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I have a cassette tape. My mother still has it. And I, she's coming out to L.A. to visit. And I was actually going to try and get her to bring it. And it's when I was seven or eight years old. And it's me in my bedroom. Um, I had Army Men and the radio. And those are my two hobbies. And I set up the radio, and I would every time a song would come on, I would turn it. Uh, I would press play and record and record that. But so every time the, the the announcer came on the radio, I would turn him down and do my own thing. It's like this is Dave Hopper, uh, CKPT, and it was you know I used to mimic the the guy on the radio, and and my mom still has that. And it's funny enough that that sort of was a precursor to what this thing would uh, end up uh, becoming. So who knows, man? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's in the stars. So while you were doing the overnights, you were talking about you know, running the records of some of the, uh, the the syndicated shows and stuff like that. Did you get to crack the mic open yourself? Oh yeah, I my first I remember my first break. 
the overnight guy who was training me, he would do overnight, regular overnight show. On the weekends, I would come in like a Friday, you know, 10, 10 o'clock at night and then a Saturday morning, Sunday mornings. And uh, I trained for a little while and got to know how to use the board. But I went on the air at 1 a.m. and there was a top hour uh, jingle, top hour ID. And I, you remember the carts. Do you guys still have carts? I have no I think it, last time I was on radio, was, we had a D, DCS or some system where you just, the computer just ran everything. Uh, but we had all these carts. And so there was a top hour, top jingle. And then uh, you'd play a couple of songs. And then your first break would happen about maybe, you know, 1, 10 a.m or something like that after 112 after a couple of songs and the, the first song I queued up to, to be able to talk over no I came out of was ABC's The Look of Love The Look of Love no, you remember that song maybe you don't I can't say that I do sadly no see, see. <laughs> I'm old now but ABC's Look of Love and I couldn't read the card I was kind of squinting and I couldn't I was down to my right and I was really nervous and shaking and I think the first break was something like okay alright uh, that was uh, Abe and the look of love. <laughs> I couldn't see. I thought it was an E. And I said, "All right, I'm." Uh, I'm used to. I was using my my own name at the time. I was uh, Dave Hope, and uh, this is CKPT. And I hit the next song, and it was just the worst ever. <laughs> you don't still have that tape, do you? I wish I did. I honestly wish I had it somewhere. And of course, my mother calls up. We're all your grandmother and your father were all listening. It's your sounds so great. You know, your mother is proud. Always know what you do. <laughs> Mom, I'm terrible. I suck. And that's how it started. You know, uh, and I had a lot of hero. I had a lot of radio heroes. I remember growing up uh, in, in Peterborough, Ontario, Mark. And of course, uh, I was always a big fan of uh, Mike Cooper and Five Ten Stupid Joke of the Day on CFTR. I used to listen to CFTR and John Records, Landecker, and Tom Rivers and uh, Jeff O'Neill. Um, Six Eddie CFTR. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I used to listen to those guys, and they were like my heroes. And uh, John Major uh, just became a VJ on Much Music. It was the early beginnings of that whole thing. And he, he was on Chum at the time, too, I think. And I remember writing to him. Yeah, I don't, I know what I wrote. Uh, I still have that letter somewhere hanging around. Uh, John has since passed away, which is weird to me. I, I guess I basically had goals. I want to work in Toronto. I'd love to work one day at Chum. I'd love to work. Yeah, I had these big dreams, and, and, and I was just like, I was looking for advice, and somebody to answer back and he wrote me a really great letter back and it's also it takes maybe one person just to say okay and hire you but it also takes uh, just one person to give you confidence to uh, and say something uh, even though they you know they, they don't really know you they they give you a bit of confidence and they think, yeah, maybe, maybe I can do this so uh, his letter back to me was um, and I never got a chance to personally thank him for that which is a real drag uh, I think he, he he was ill at cancer or something I can't remember but uh but those type of people, you know, will pop up in your life and these little light bulbs will go off. And, and thanks to them, you, they sort of set you on this road. And in turn, I get letters, I get emails all the time, I, every day. And to the point where, like, you're exhausted. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how you get into business anymore. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there's no magic bullet. Sort of, if you want to do it, then you'll find your way. That's kind of the answer I have at the moment. You know, because back, what, back in the day, how did you, how did you get your gig? I mean, we used to send out cassette tapes and 
you know, uh, air checks and stuff and to, to program directors all over the place. And, you know, that would sort of get us in the door. I don't know how it, how it happens now. That's pretty much still standard operating procedure. You know, you go to a radio school or those, some some don't, but and then you throw together some really awful tape because you still don't really know what you're doing. And <laughs> you hope that somebody hears some glimmer of hope in your voice and, yeah. and then they mold you from there. And then you just hope to bounce from job to job until someone tells you you can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun, right? I mean, it. I went through it with Peterborough and then Brock, Brockville. We called it Brock Vegas, a small little town. I did mornings there. You didn't go from overnights to mornings, did you? No, I, I think I did evenings for a while. Peterborough, I was there on the station for four years or so. I, I started when I was like 17 years old. I think around 20, 21, I got a job as a morning man in Brockville. Brock Vegas. And uh, that was... Uh, while well, I lived in this little apartment, and I used to have to leave Peterborough, my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, we've been together for a long time. I remember punching holes in the wall when I get home on it, like on a on a Sunday night. It was just miserable having to leave. And but Brockfield was kind of fun because I had a chance to do mornings. I remember getting a speeding ticket one morning because I was notoriously late. The overnight guy with the last song would be running, and I would literally walk through the door. <laughs> and one morning, you know, I noticed behind me, you know, whoop, whoop, it was a. The OPP, I haven't said that in a long time, Ontario Provincial Police. And I, I was in a panic. I said, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm on the radio. I'm doing a show. It's, could you follow me? I mean, I'm going. I'm just down the road. And he said, all right, get in your car. So he followed me, and he actually <laughs> came, into the, he came into the studio uh, during my first break. And it was uh, CFJR. Uh, morning. It's the morning show. It's, uh, I think I was David K at the time. or K, I don't know what, who I was. And I said, and, and Constable um, Smith. Constable Smith. <laughs> and he's about to write me a speeding ticket. Uh, so here's Madonna. Uh, and that's how how it went there. That's a great break. That's I mean, it, you know, it sucks to get a speeding <laughs> ticket, but for yeah, in terms right. of radio, you can't script a bit better than I had to get no. the guy to follow me. He's writing the ticket right now. That's right. <laughs> I realized afterward that that was awesome. Although at the time I was pretty uh, pretty pretty freaked out. Oh, of course. We used to give out great prizes at that station, like uh, you know, call now, be the be the be the one hundredth caller, and we'll get you a, a six pack of Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Didn't have a lot of sponsors back then. <laughs> you should have tried to bribe Officer Smith with a Constable Smith with a six pack of Pepsi. You might have been able yeah, to get I could out have done it. that. Hey, listen, I got some uh, donuts from the House of Sweets <laughs> in the back there, and six pack of pop. You know, I, uh... the donuts might have got you in more trouble. Yeah, maybe looking. Back yeah. on it. Yeah. But that, but yeah, from, from there, then I went to country radio and got hired in London, Ontario, and had a wonderful, I had no no idea about country. I did I did never listen to country. I couldn't tell you who was what. Uh, I think I knew who Kenny Rogers was, literally. And they hired me in London, Ontario at BX93 and had great, four great years there. I met a lot of great country stars before they were famous, like Randy Travis and uh, Steve Warner, Reba McIntyre. Uh, I remember a really, really stoned, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Mer uh, Merle Haggard. I had a group of people with me. I gave out a prize. I was uh, in charge of about 12 people who won tickets to see Merle Haggard and uh, Conway Twitty. And and I brought them all to the the, the, where the, the uh, London Knights Hockey Club played. I can't remember the name of the gardens or where it was. And that's where the show was. And uh, we were backstage passes and a meet and greet. So we were there a few hours before the show. And, and we were there for Merle Haggard's sound check. And we were all outside the, you know, hockey arenas are like, there's this, it's all cement and stone and it's cold. And we're waiting in the foyer there. And, and in walks Merle Haggard. And he kind of opened the door, kind of flew open. And 
right away I knew he was hammered or something because he walked right by us and the only thing he said was uh, I am. and then he walked out <laughs> to the to the stage and I said alright uh, Merle Haggard everybody uh, <laughs> Haggard so I guess, being the key term oh yeah I know what was going on there but yeah he was in no, no shape to do anything so that was uh, an interesting you know, situation uh, so anyway stuff like that used to happen all the time and country folks were great uh, I get, got to know some of the artists and, and they were really uh, really great to, to us and great to radio you start yeah. as this this overnight guy in Peterborough, and you talk about your first break where you can't see the carts, and you're nervous, and you're shaking, and 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 you you said you saw yeah you're just not very good. But now here we're talking about you know a number of years later down the road you're doing this country show. So obviously somewhere along the way you started to find your chops. You started to find your sound. Did you ever feel did you feel like you got more comfortable, like you got better as you were going along, or did you still feel like that kid in Peterborough even all those years later? Oh, I, w I always felt that awe that I was I could turn the mic and I could say anything I want right now and it would go over the air I had to sort of I could say like whatever right now right and I, there was always that <laughs> the power there's a lot of responsibility but I, I, I began it's the people that hired me and the people began to shape who I was and it's about communicating and, and I got to I really didn't give a rat's ass about dead air anymore at all because I actually like to use it we used to play after the 6 o'clock news on the country station uh, Paul Harvey's rest of the story it was this little news featurette out of I think he was from Michigan and he was a he was on all the stations all across America at the time. We used to run it in London. And he would always end his little story about uh, this way. He said, I'm Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. And we used to purposely stop the cart. So we'd go, I'm Paul Harvey, and now you know, boom, stop the cart and see how long we could go without saying. <laughs> and about 30 seconds later, the rest of the story. <laughs> I used to listen yeah. to Paul Harvey when I was a kid in uh, Grand Prairie. So I would have been, Jesus, like maybe 10 years old and listening. Yeah. And, and, and I suddenly feel like maybe the guys in Grand Prairie were doing the same game. Because when I think yep. back to that, <laughs> that gap between and now you know. <laughs> Got longer and the rest longer. Of, yeah, it's like whoa. <laughs> that is a that is a nine month pregnant pause right there. Yeah, it's a, but it is it's a comfort level, and you uh, you just sort of develop your personality. I did, I did a lot of copying of people, and including David Letterman back in on CKPT, and people call it stop copying David Letterman and hang up <laughs> because it, you didn't really. I didn't have life experience. I was like freaking eighteen. I didn't know anything, you know. So you would copy people, and you would copy people you've heard on the air, and you would get these air check services of these cool jocks everywhere. Like uh, I can't remember some of the guys I used to listen to uh, WBZ in Boston, and all the station I listened to were across the border. I got a big kick of listening to American radio, and and wanted to be here, and wanted to be involved in that. And of course, fell in love with Casey Kasem and Rick Dees, and Rick Dees actually lives in my neighborhood, and I I see him now and again, and it's kind of cool because um, a friend of mine's a friend of his, and I, I said, look, introduce me to him next time we're somewhere, and he's there because I just want to tell him he's one of the reasons why. And another big uh, person down here just died this past year. A lovable guy, really like uh, Gary Owens. And Gary Owens sort of, his announcer, what he did on, on the show Laughing back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, was how I sort of modeled some characters I still to this day do. I do a lot of different announcer goofy characters, and it's modeled after after Gary and what he used to do. And I remember first meeting him down here, and I said, Gary, uh, I just, you know, David Kay, and I just wanted, you know, I'm the reason this, I'm here is because of you. And he goes, well, you know, we're all fiends of friends here. And he, he was just very <laughs> funny and welcoming. And, and in walked Joanne Ward. 
Morley you know, with his little dog. And, oh, oh, oh. and I go, oh my God, I'm in laughing. It's because everybody's here. They're all here. It was at some industry party and they were freaking here. It's Gary Owens and this guy and that. Uh, they're all sort of legendary dudes. And uh, they were all, they all shaped who I am. And then over the years, I sort of, you know, sort of developed my own thing. And then when I ended up in Vancouver doing uh, every show on the station, I ended up doing the morning zoo and characters. I was very comfortable with just, you know, I didn't care about um, trying to please somebody. I was just more about trying to develop like who I am and, and my delivery and, and whatever it is that I brought to the to the table, I suppose. Well, it's obvious uh, from, from your current profession and even from just this first chunk of, of the interview here, voices come very easily to you now. When you were that 18 to 20-year-old kid still working in, in the smaller markets, did you have a handle on voices then or is that something that came to you later on in your career? Were you able to use your impressions early on? Yeah, there was uh, a few times. I mean, I used to get in trouble in high school, uh, or actually in, in public school. I, I remember grade, uh, God, was it second, third grade? It was a, a long time ago. I was in, in the hallway because I was mimicking teachers. I would mimic a lot of people and mimic behind their back, or I'd just sort of do that. And fast forward to now, I'm getting asked by these trailer companies to mimic other actors because i got to fix a line in a trailer. So, you know what I mean? It's it's weird that from there, all the way to second grade, all the way to here, that's still, that crap still comes in useful. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the voice stuff, yeah, I, I, I uh, it was a morning zoo in Vancouver, Dean Hill and Constable Bob and uh, it was Graham Hatch and Sam at the time, and I was asked to join the zoo uh, when the zoo format was big, and, and I began to develop characters then, like, um, there's Cowboy Dick, who used to write stupid songs, and, Cowboy Dick's howdy, boys and girls! You know, howdy, Cowboy Dick, a real song about a pet chicken. Chicken, chicken, and a pet chicken, hanging from the highest tree! You know, and then we'd do, do a song and do a little a skit, and there were other songs he wrote, and other characters I'd come up with, and it was just sort of screwing around. Uh, being able to screw around with your voice and find out what, you know, the, the the trick is 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 to make it sounds it's got to sound like a real person it can't sound like you're trying to put on a voice you know what I, you understand it has to sound like it's a real person so in your head or in somebody else's head they got to be able to see that character because they associate with that was it can't be disassociated um it's hard to explain i guess but in in, in cartoons today and in animation in the you get hired because you bring these characters to life they have their own life they can't sound like you're putting it on or reading from a script that's the difference and i think from my radio training from my ra all radio days and, and developing characters and screwing around basically screwing around it, it served me well down the road in this you know in, in, in animation and, and other things um so if that makes sense. That was LG you were at in Vancouver, correct? Yeah. Uh -huh. And that was kind of the end of the line for you for radio. Yeah, I remember one night, <laughs> one well, uh, my daughter was just born, I think. No, no, what what, what happened? Um, no, she wasn't born yet. Um, uh, Maria was still pregnant. I, I was really bored. I was to the point where I was doing middays, and it was a computerized music system. And we used to have a television in the studio, and we'd be, I'd be watching MTV, and the monkeys were on. I used to watch the monkeys all the time, because in the middays, they were always on. And I remember uh, I would load up three songs, and then the songs would end, and I'd, 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 I'd hit the mic. Boom. LG73, it's Madonna. Boom. And I'd, I'd be out. And that was basically, I, got, I was beginning to be real bored, because during that time, in my last couple of years on the air, I was uh, cast in a, in, in a few cartoons, G.I. Joe, and some other ones. I was an Exo Squad, and a number of different cartoons that I began to, to work on, and some anime stuff at the time that was coming into Vancouver. And I remember 
one day thinking, I want to do that forever. That's awesome. So I would get to the station and go, yeah, here's Madonna. Uh, here's it. I, was just, it, it, I was getting bored, and it wasn't good for me or anybody else. And so uh, I remember uh, Chris Pandoff uh, the, the, at the time, it was a GM at uh, LG, and brought me into the office and said, uh, you're not, you don't really want to be here, do you? I said, nah, nah, not really. <laughs> so, Just straight up. So it was a mutual firing, you know. Uh, and I remember thinking, wow, well, so this is it. This is, this is, here we go. This is what I'm in. Because I started, I was becoming quite busy at doing on camera and some other stuff. And I, you know, my, I, I had an idea. Okay, now I know what I want to do. And uh, it wasn't fair to anybody else. And, and uh, I, I, I loved everybody at LG and had a great time. And it was a mutual, you I know, mean, it was a wonderful thing. We had a, re- a reunion a couple of years ago and it was so many laughs and so many great times. I love all of them because they gave me a shot and, uh, they're just great, great, great people. I left and went home and uh, I said, you know, there's a, there's a three-quarters bottle of Glenlivet in the, in, the, in the cabinet. I'm going to have a little scotch. You know, a little scotch. We'll put this to bed. Well, about two in the morning in my studio, <laughs> the bottle was empty. And I don't drink. I, don't, I mean, I'm not a drink. I'm crawling. I remember crawling up the stairs and I woke my wife up and said, oh, what's going I think I'm going to be sick. And she said, what, what the hell are you doing? What time is it? I think I'm going to be sick. Oh, God. You know, and then, I, of course, I fell asleep and don't remember even getting into bed. You know, woke up the next morning and I called my good buddy, Greg. I said, hey, hey man, Looks, I'm, I'm kind of concerned. He goes, well, what's the matter? Well, I finished off some scotch last night. How much did you have? Well, it was a lot. Three quarters of a bottle. And he started laughing. I said, well, I don't know. I, like, am I an alcoholic? And he started laughing even harder. Then he said, do you do this all the time? I said, no. You're not an alcoholic. God, I come on, picking you up. I'll take you for a breakfast. So it took me to the Tomahawk in North Vancouver's Greasy Spoon, this great old breakfast place. And, and that was the cutting of the umbilical cord. That moment there was sort of like, that was uh, from, from Dave being on radio to I'm uh, on my own now. And it, it sort of was apropos that, uh, that that happened. But I'll never forget that night. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't happen at all anymore. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't know, man. Like, you call that the cutting of the umbilical cord that sort of separated you from the radio industry. I, I think that's the most radio thing you've ever done. <laughs> Drinking three quarters of a bottle of scotch in one sitting. That's right. <laughs> It'll never leave me. <laughs> you found your true calling at the, the right at the end there. That's right. <laughs> so many people get out of radio, whether on purpose or because someone has told them that they're no longer in radio and they pine for it. They, oh, God, I just need that next break. I need to go to another station. I need to go to another market. Even people that retire, you talk to them, they go, oh, I miss it. I miss yeah. being in the building. So you did it for a number of years. Now, your situation, obviously, a little different because you were going to something else that you had recently fallen in love with since that last day that you barely remember <laughs> your time at yeah. LG. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to go back or is it just, is it a clean break? Yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I remember going back to this reunion a couple of years ago, the LG reunion of uh, 1006 Richard street where C Fox began and, you know, LG was for years. Now it's an apartment building, which is, makes me feel old because that stuff happens when you're old. <laughs> I know there you, that used to be a radio station when I was young. <laughs> now it's a goddamn apartment building in a parking lot. You know, you do that stuff. I went up to visit Vancouver and saw everybody. And then uh, the next day, Dean said, why don't you come over and uh, do uh, come over on the show? Because he's working. Uh, Dean Hill is on afternoons over at uh, CFMI. I said, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. It'd be fun. So, yeah, come on up. So I went up to the tower, and I got behind the mic, and Dean was there, and it just kind of felt like, wow, this is like old times. This is cool. And I was really relaxed, and I really wanted to be there. And I was there for about an hour and did a few breaks and talked about a few things. And 
And I, I left thinking, that'd be cool to do that again. We should go. We should all get together and do the zoo again somewhere. Do some kind of a special reunion, like on the air, and do like stuff. Uh, so you do get you sort of salivate for that because I think the older you get. Uh, and the more you remove from it, the more comfortable you are. So I keep thinking, you know, I, I'd be kind of fun to do like a radio show now. And that to the point where I'm, I've installed a second mic and an arm in here in, the stu- in my studio here at home. And, you know, we want to start to get together a podcast and do a radio show, play some, you know, bring in some of my buddies who are in a lot of cartoons, or some, like Tom Kenny or DiMaggio who does Bender on Futurama, and, and bring in a stack of their favorite songs. And we'll talk back and forth and, you know, shoot the breeze and play, the, play some tunes. So, so I do still have that thing. You know, it's still there. I will vouch for one thing. Nobody listens to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's for us. (laughs) It's for us. We've had a lot of guests on this show that actually think that radio stations will either become podcast heavy or or die in the face of the podcast. Do you think that that's uh, someone has kind of that old school mentality? I think think they just I think things just evolve. Look at television. Now I'm I'm binge watching and losing sleep and feeling ill the next day because I couldn't put down in the, the last episode of you know uh, 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 what's uh, I don't know something something's popular Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones you know uh, so it, things evolve and it's just they, they will anyway so whatever radio turns it is still you know strong uh, still powerful it's still a way to get the message out I mean Ryan Seacrest here in Kiss FM is still a big station a lot of talk stations you know KFI I mean it's, they're doing okay you know in, in this market yeah, there's, there's still a, a, it's not like it used to be but it's still part of the whole thing wait Ryan Seacrest is on a station down there oh he's on yeah Kiss FM mornings he's been doing it for a long time he's yeah. on he does afternoons and weekends on a show out here in Regina I could have Sworn he yeah, he does. Here in yeah, he, no, he does his. Uh, he does his. Uh, records his show. He's a money making machine. Of oh course, my he's God. working at the, the E Network and all his uh, reality shows and stuff. But but he's a smart businessman and and uh, his station does well. He's the Nickelback of entertainment. We all want to hate him, but only because he has more money than we do. <laughs> good one <laughs> i want to go back to okay you're done at lg even the, the final days of lg you mentioned that you uh recently booked a couple of gigs voicing uh shows like gi joe and stuff like that so obviously you'd been doing a lot of voice stuff with the zoo and and on your show and in vancouver when did you really decide like i wonder if i could make money doing this voice thing somebody told me i i couldn't <laughs> That and was then, as simple as that. And then it Tell became me something a screw I can't you do, situation. And let me prove you wrong. I've always been that way. And I, because I started making a little bit of money at the time, and somebody said, hey, you can't make it, you can't make any money in this town doing voiceover. Like, yeah, all right, game's on. And so <laughs> it's just in my personality. I just made it. Anyway, I, I ended up getting an agent out of New York, and I started doing affiliate work. And um, uh, Jim Johnson, JJ, uh, gave me my first shot in that respect, doing stuff for Fox. 99.3 to Fox. I was the voice of the Fox for a while. That was my first gig. And I made a bunch of chocolate K's or something, or a cake. I can't remember what the hell it was. I dropped them over to a UTV uh, in Vancouver. And that was a big hit. And that essentially got me a gig over there being the announce, uh, announcer for television. So I thought, well, okay, if I can replicate this... Uh, you know, over and over, how many stations? And so I, st- I, have, I got a map, and I put a map up in my studio wall back in when I was living in North Vancouver, and I put little pins in it and see where I was, where I wanted to be, and just started marketing. And that's how that started, just developing a, a, a gaggle of stations around North America. So if I could, I figure if I'm in the business, if I could get a, just a, a group of stations together, uh, this many stations, then it was free me up to do this, and I could do this. And so I had a base. I had this income coming in, you know, uh, from stations. And so I began to do that. And then, you know, 
the exposure that William Morris got me at the time, I'm no longer with them. I was in, in New York uh, and across the country, and they, they grew the stations significantly. And then that William Morris signing got me signed to William Morris in L.A., and I came down here and met with uh, the animation people because I was doing cartoons as well, and I gave them all my stuff, and they signed me up, and I was with them for quite a while. So eventually, uh, long story short, 2007, we had to move here because I, I got cast as Optimus Prime in an animated series down here, Transformers. It was recording here and not in, not in Canada. So 2007, we had to, I had to, you know, we had to make the move. Are you and, the only uh, guy that's been Optimus Prime and Megatron? I think so. I, I don't know. As far as I know, yeah. Just on all sides yeah. of the spectrum there. Yeah, so that's weird because when I wasn't at Megatron, every time somebody would say Megatron, I go, oh, oh that's not me, right? <laughs> the director, would, the director would say, okay, so Megatron. I'm like, oh yeah, right. I'm I'm the other one. I'm the other guy. <laughs> was, was GI Joe the first big booking for you? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was. Yeah, General Hawk. Uh, Yo, Joe. I still have the I still have the toy. I have I have a few toys, the talking ones. They don't sound anything anything like me. You press the button. <laughs> yo 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 Joe yo Joe yo Joe. <laughs> they didn't have uh, they didn't have the technology back then for that kind no, of they didn't. high quality uh, audio replication. But the, there's the one the big the big Optimus Prime from Transformers Animated is my voice. But then there's one they released later that's not my voice, so that's uh, collectible now. The one with my voice on it, you can find the big one. It's it's uh, it's out there because there was some the toy thing is a whole separate deal and. Um, they want to do it on the cheap, so we they, we weren't able to uh, to nail down the original cast. So they made toys without our voices, uh, and the ones with our voices are really, really, really collectible. I feel like I know what the answer is going to be to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway on the off chance that you give me an answer. Do you have favorite voice roles that have come over your time? Oh yeah, Megatron for sure. Uh, Professor X from. Uh, X-Men Evolution, because I got to do my Patrick Stewart. Uh, I wish we had outtakes from that show. <laughs> we had some weird, you know, Storm. Yeah, Storm, come sit on Daddy's lap, Storm. <laughs> yes, never mind, Logan. He's busy. Yeah, I mean, it was just stuff like that. I don't know. It's the sort of thing that, that would be great as an extra on the DVD, but uh, maybe yeah, for but that I, audience, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, but there's been a bunch over the years, and I've had a ton of fun. The, the, the late, latest one has been a, a ton of fun. It's the uh, the Ratchet and Clank series, and it's, they're making a freaking movie out of it, which I'm thrilled as it is all get out. I hope it uh, does well. It uh, looks great. It looks really great. Um, and I've been playing the robot uh, Clank from that Ratchet and Clank video game series for years. And then it was a few years ago they said, hey, we're doing a movie. Uh, what do you mean, like a movie? Like a movie movie? Yeah, like a movie, a feature film. You mean like a big film? Yeah, a big film. Wow, really? <laughs> they want me? Well, you're Clank. Okay, well, I'm in. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> yeah, they, give me a pen before yeah. they change their mind. So now Paul Giamatti's in it, uh, Sylvester Stallone. And I used to joke a long time ago, oh, the only reason I, yeah, I'll get into a movie. Uh, Sylvester Stallone will be, uh, and anyway, he's in it. So Stallone's in it, Giamatti's in it, uh, Rosie Perez, uh, who, who else is uh, John Goodman, and uh, my uh, partner in crime, James Arnold Taylor. Uh, he's uh, He plays Ratchet. So that movie is April the 23rd, I think. Uh, it's a big red carpet. As far as I know, I, I, that's, when it, that's a world premiere. So it should be interesting to see how that uh, how it comes out. So you've done you've done cartoons, you've done anime, you've done 
video games. Is there anything left? Is there any corner of the, the voicing market? You've done radio and television and commercials. Is there a corner of this industry that you, you haven't got into that you're like, ah, oh, if only I could get my thumb in that pie? Well, uh, it, uh, I mean, the movie trailers was the last one, and I'm starting to finish on. on there's, a, there's a few trailers out now. There, uh, so, so that's the pie that I want to stick my thumb in for a long time. Uh, it's a tough one to crack, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, uh, that there's a, a trailer out there on YouTube right now. You can go to the website and uh, check it out. It's on there. Um, it's The Secret Life of Pets. And then there was a Christmas one I finished on recently, and there's something else uh, you know, happening. But uh, the trailer is uh, my mentor is Don LaFontaine. When I moved down here, we had Don actually come up to Vancouver and do a workshop for for working professionals in the VO industry up there. And that wasn't long. It was a year after that. He died. Um and I remember being in Vegas with a family. We were coming across uh, through Apple Valley and down the grade uh, so we could just pick up the AM station, the news station in Los Angeles. And uh, I hear that, that the announcer come on and say, and Hollywood uh, voiceover legend Don LaFontaine is done. I go, oh, my God. So that um, was a real treat to be able to get to know Don for a while and his wife. And I remember him telling me once, he said, you should be down, you should be down here. You, you should be doing this. You, you can do this. It's not, you know, you, you tell him, daddy's got to do what daddy's got to do and you got to move to LA. I go, oh, okay, Don. So we're, well, I guess that's it. And your mentor says things like that. I mean, his name's Don LaFontaine. You kind of have to listen. <laughs> so yeah. And it's, I'm thrilled to be anywhere near that industry because it's a real tough nut to crack because there is a wrong way to do it. A lot of voiceover commercial work or cartoons, there's your take on it and there's things you can't do and you have to be you know skilled at it. But trailers is one of those things, it's changed over the years. It used to be way more difficult. I like it that it's difficult. It should be difficult. But it's uh, it is a, is, there's a proper way to do a trailer and a lot of stuff I think sometimes on the air these days, Don would turn over in his grave if he heard it. Uh, you know, it's, it's just changed a little bit. But it is very tough to do and tough to finish and get to know people. It's a very small, small little circle. You know, I've been scratching trailers now for five years plus and finally beginning to, you know, be asked for to scratch, be asked by trailer companies and, and finish, actually finish, go to finish on them. So it takes a while. Well, this actually, it, it ties into something that I, I really wanted to ask you about because I was going to ask you, I want to get into you know, what you think about the industry as it is now and how people from radio can, can look to make that transition. But one of the things that's out there now is these websites that have popped up like freelance.com or whatever it is, or, or the big one is Fiverr with the, the $5 website where people are selling voiceovers for $5. And it's like, yeah. you know, you send me a script of 100 words and I'll send you an MP3 for just $5. And then there's some negotiating beyond that. But I, I there are people who are on there that'll say, you know, I'll record anything you want in my movie trailer voice for just $5. As yeah, their movie trailer voice for 5 bucks is not, you know. <laughs> well, it's not, it's no Don LaFontaine or anything, but... What do you think about websites like this? As someone who, you know, like you say, you got an agent, you started scratching gigs, you started going all over the place, you moved your family to another country to be able to do what it is that you do, and now there are people, and I'm I'm certainly not putting them on the David K level, but there are people who are doing voiceover work for $5. Now, do you think that that is an acceptable entry point for someone who's just trying to get their name out there? Or do you think that it cheapens the industry on the whole? Oh, it cheapens the industry, period. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I believe you need to pay your dues. Look, you and I in radio paid our dues, you know, and, and everyone everyone wants an easy way or, a, or a, they want the easy way. They want the easy If it's a, uh, most people take the easier road. It's a, it's a very difficult job to uh, to be a professional in because of that. But I'll tell you something. Every time a, a cartoon 
project comes across your desk. First of all, the, the, the you know, the industry's going to change. We can't stop how it's going to be and, and change. Uh, things get weeded out uh, as they do. I mean, once there were movies without any sound, and then all of a sudden there were talkies, and there's a lot of people that went out of business and things. Just They just changed, so we can't stop that. And the website's out there, and anyone can have a studio and a mic and, a, and you know, call themselves a voiceover person. Um, but it's... You get a, a script, and then you get hired on a show, and then it's it's Project X. No, it's a very secretive. It's a marble. They don't want to even talk about it. You can't. No one knows who's in it, and blah 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 blah. But they hired you, and congratulations. But so just go to this studio and show up, and then they'll give you other stuff. You just sign a non-disclosure agreement. You get there and say, Oh, I know everybody. Ever it's the same people all the time. So even though you know they, they they love there's always new people coming in. There's the same core group of people because they're good at what they do. They know that they can work with them, and they're people are familiar with. Them. And, you know, this is a certain, there's a level there. When you go into a booth with these guys and girls down here, you better bring it, like, right away. There's no time for screwing around. We've had uh, on cartoons some uh, on-camera actors come in, and th they're lost. Some of them are completely lost about how to be in that room or work a mic. You know, it's it's, uh, it's a profession like anything else. Um you can do it as a hobby if you want. There's not look if you want to sell your voice for five bucks, you know, go ahead. But your, your voice is worth five bucks. So I, I I really don't know. I'm not a not a big fan. Uh, but then again, who am I to say? You know, I, I had my journey, and my journey is going to be different from from yours and from everybody else's. Uh, but I uh, I treat this business as a profession. I you know I, I treat people with respect. And when you're out working in a studio or on set or at Warner Brothers, you know you're a professional. You're there to do a job and you know, not, not be an idiot. And that goes a long way in this town, especially in Los Angeles. If they know they can work with you and you're a pro and they will call you back and you will work all the time. It, it's just tough. It's, uh, it's a small, it's a small sort of circle, but the talent you're competing with, uh, here is very, a very high level of talent. And there's a reason, uh, that people get hired. Uh, so I don't know. It's always a tough one for me. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the pay for, play things I, I don't know I mean look you know I gotta try and make a living at it and if that's the way you want to start then fine as long as I don't I think some people don't stay there as long as they use it as a as a springboard and say okay I want to get better or I want to eventually have a you know an agent who gets gets me access to the greatest material because you're not going to read for Pixar unless you're with a certain agent or you're not going to read for for you know high-end uh, you know corporate commercials or, or or films or projects unless you have a you have access to those materials and directors and I mean, there are hundreds of people that come here a day, submissions, like submissions, like tapes a day. And my agent said, said, dude, man, 99% of the stuff we get every day is like not going to cut it. Once in a while, diamond in the rough. So, you know, the, it's tough. It's tough. It's in any business. It's tough. So for radio people, who I, we all like to think that we're really good at voicing commercials. We have the best read in the building, no matter what building we're in. Uh, there are, every radio person has thought about how great it would be if we could get paid on top of what we do to go out and voice commercials. Oh, I want to I want to voice sure. a, a TV commercial or I want that yeah. national McDonald's ad. And, and most of us will never get that because that's a crazy thing to think about. But if someone does have the pipes and someone does want to work on the chops, what would your advice as somebody who I, I think we can all look at and say, hey, there's a radio guy that's really good at this. What would you say to somebody would be even just the first step in the right direction? I would say um, theater or uh, or acting and, and uh, you really find you need to find that was the biggest thing for me is doing live theater scared the shit out of me excuse my language that sort of started in, in, in doing 
you know, or, or classes or somebody reputable who teaches an acting class, because or, or especially these days, uh, the Groundlings or what's the other groups in town here, uh, like uh, improv is a really big thing because it gets you out of your head. You, you in, in radio, we used to get commercials. You know, there there was sixty seconds of copy in thirty seconds. You know the old deal. Uh, how can you possibly make that work? It has a lot to do with the writing as well, of course, but. To be able to interpret a piece of copy and to interpret something or, or a scene or a, a character is really important. And I don't know how, how else to get there other than to, to to study that craft because that you know especially improv and, and some acting stuff because it gets you you get you out of the radio sort of mentality where everything has to be in thirty seconds or or or, or else. Some of the best commercials have you know very few words and just sort of sound effects or something and it's theater of the mind and it's how you sell that. So uh, that would be my first advice: is to is to is to get out of the radio mentality and get, and get out of your head and get out of yourself and find find out who's in there. You know, you take acting stuff like that and take courses and, and things. It gets you you start figuring out who you are from that because you have to play these other people and 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 you start and start studying how people talk and and how people re- it's a study in in humans. You know, if you go to if you go to Vegas for a weekend and sit there with a drink and at a piano lounge and just watch and listen to people walk by, you're going to get everything. These are real people that you can take that and use that in, in commercial work, finding out who your own what your own voice is. But your own voice is what's going to get you the gig first. You can't just go right into cartoons because everybody can do voices. My dad thinks he can do an English voice and he's a hor- horrible English accent. <laughs> oh, hello there, matey. Hello there, dad. Please stop. Please stop talking. <laughs> So you, you just you start to find out about yourself, and then after that, then you can start interpreting things and maybe bringing bringing your own spin to it. Like if you, if somebody gives you direction, like hey, we're, we we don't want an announcer, we don't want this, we want a uh, so there was a spot today for veterans, um, and we want somebody who is relatable, conversational, but still strong, but not hokey or or sad or sleepy. And so you're thinking all these directions, like oh my god. And so you have to find it's a midwestern you know voice, and he's maybe he's forty to sixty, and you sort of put a bit of age, and maybe he's been in battle, and you give him a bit of a bit of an edge. And if you help the veterans today, maybe tomorrow you can have a better. You know, you try and come at it from his perspective, and you really have to sort of be able to step into characters or get there in a real hurry. You got to be able to put age and weight on characters, or or make them younger or or thinner. Uh, and it's all being able to maneuver. It's maneuvering your voice and maneuvering your stance, how you stand or how you sit, uh, and how you and what you're seeing th- things when you're reading copy. So there's a lot of stuff to think about. It's just it's just not reading a piece of copy and you know or a scene and and putting a voice on it. There's a lot. You know, there's there's emotion in there. There's there's a human being. You know, I mean, <laughs> you've heard all those 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 commercials about crops and nematodes. I don't know what the hell nematodes are, but you have to sound like you know what the hell you're talking about. So you're a farmer and you just got in for work. You've had a long, hard day and goddamn nematodes were out there. And Jesus Christ, like, yeah, and so it gets me in if I swear in that and I and I start into the copy and then read the copy. I, I kind of find the character. So I know I'm rambling a bit, but it's uh, it's important to get out of your head and take acting, I think, and some reputable classes and get an idea of what it is that you need to do to get to this point, because there's, there's a lot to it. Well, I hope that the people who are listening who are considering voice acting or voice work of any kind, you call it rambling, I call it educational. It was good stuff. <laughs> and I hope that people take it seriously. David K., thank you very much for your time. One day I'm going to figure out how to make this podcast make money, and I'm going to call you and I'm going to get you to voice me a new intro. I'm in, man. I'm in. <laughs> I don't know how long that'll take. I wouldn't hold your breath on that P.O., but one day. 
Uh, the last thing that we do on the show, though, before I let you go, the last thing I always do is I let my guests introduce a song of their choice. We call it the Off Mic Spin of the Week, and you can pick whatever song you want and introduce it in whatever voice you want. It's up to you. All right. Uh, one of my favorite all-time rock and roll records from one of my favorite all-time rock and roll bands, ACDC. This is Back in Black. <laughs>
listening to the Off Mic Podcast. Follow the show online at Off Mic Podcast on Twitter or like the show on Facebook. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show, email offmicpodcast at gmail.com. The Off Mic Podcast is a part of the Dolby Radio Network.